Good morning again. Welcome to the Center Church again. My name is John, I'm the campus pastor here. Excited that you're here. Today is a great day. I don't know if you've noticed there's a thing full of water. Uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but we're already excited for what God's doing in our midst. Now, if you didn't catch on your way in, it's a little bit colder than it was this summer, and that's proof God has left us. He has abandoned us. Um, he does not love us anymore. Um, that's a joke, in case you're wondering, like, what is wrong with me? There's a lot of things. I got that one clear, though. He does love us, but I'm just questioning it this morning as I drove in, and it was below 30 degrees. And so I I'm thinking back to the summer. Maybe you've already thought back to the summer. Maybe you went away. Maybe it was an awesome vacation. Maybe it was a sports game you attended. Maybe it was just a good kind of weekend on the beach that you got to spend. Uh, one of my favorite things to do, and many of you know this, is to run. So this summer, I was coming back from a run. Uh, I was driving from a trail up on the north side of Grand Rapids, and uh, Lindsay was gone for the summer on a work trip, which as a male leaves you in a weird spot when you get home. It's like, man, I used to have food, and now I don't know where it is. It's relocated or something. Like, she is my source. And so I, I knew kind of in the back of my brain that I had no food at home, and no food is like... We all know what that means. You really have food. It's not just not what you want to eat. That was, I was like, I was on the way home. I just got it from, I was like, man, I got no food at home. And I'm definitely not going grocery shopping. And so right off the exit, conveniently placed, is a beautiful beacon of hope called Taco Bell. So I pull off the exit, and Taco Bell hasn't failed me that many times. Like, we have a kind of love-hate relationship. There's some days I really love her, and there's some days I'm like, oh, man, you irk me. Uh, but Taco Bell is kind of one of those go-tos. If I don't know what to cook, I'm just like, you know what? It's really quick. It's easy. I can get it for like 30 cents or whatever it is, like super cheap. I can go there and get a couple burritos. And so I did, like I'd done many times before, knowing that the Taco Bell employee training manual says that it should only take 75 seconds to make it through the drive-thru. 75 seconds, okay? All of you know that's farce. That is not true. That does not happen on a regular basis. Actually, as you dig into it, the national average is closer to two and a half minutes. Still not that bad. Two and a half minutes from when you order to when you need to be leaving with your items having paid in Taco Bell. And so I, I didn't think it was going to fail me this time. We had a good track record over the summer. And so I pulled into that familiar drive through and I started to wait. And I waited about 30 seconds. The car ahead of me went. I placed my order and then pulled ahead and waited maybe two minutes. I'm like, okay, two and a half minutes. I'm a patient guy-ish. And so I can wait a few more minutes and it became five minutes. Five minutes turned into 10 minutes. I'm starting to get a little like Christian annoyed, all right? Like a little, okay, like this is taking really long, like 10 minutes, okay? So 10 minutes becomes 15 minutes, a quarter of an hour. I've spent waiting for these delicious bean burritos. I could have harvested these beans by now. Like 15 minutes felt like an eternity in that line. So 15 minutes goes by and then it becomes evident to me that, that I've got to figure out a way to escape this line. Like I'm going to have to go in or something. And then that thought hits me like, no, you can't go in. Because Taco Bell, I don't know if you've caught this, Taco Bell, when we see each other in Taco Bell, we both act like we've never been there before. <laughs> like we walk in, it's like, oh, 
oh, I was just using the ATM. I, I don't know why you're here. Are you getting food? Like, that's disgusting. I would never do that. And we were. They were like, oh, I just want to try it. I want to check out the interior design. Like, you come up with all these reasons that are not true. You all secretly like Taco Bell. I know it's true. And so I, I, I kind of got in the line. I said, there's no way I can get out of this line. Like, I'm literally trapped three cars ahead of me, three cars behind me. I've got nowhere to go. 15 minutes slowly creeps into the 20 minute mark. And by this point, I'm not Christian annoyed. I'm like, wow, like how long does it take to make a couple bean burritos? Like I'm not asking for that much, Taco Bell. Like hook me up. So 20 minutes goes. Finally, I get to the cash register. I pay. I take my burritos. By the time I'm pulling out of Taco Bell, it took 22 minutes. That is a tragedy in American society that that even still takes place. What I kind of thought about reflecting on that experience, reflecting on the fact that places like Taco Bell or Wendy's or McDonald's or pick your fast food of choice, the reason those exist, the reason that I participate in funding said restaurants is not because I just like bad food, it's because I often want to satisfy needs in an immediate gratification type way. Like, I didn't want to wait a long enough time to go to Meyer or to, to make my dinner. I just wanted to, to eat. I was hungry. Like, I wanted to get right to my meal. And so I go to a place like Taco Bell or, again, you pick your fast food of choice. You go there and you eat. And none of you leaves eating fast food feeling great about yourself. You're always kind of like a little bit ashamed about it. Uh, it's because you, you know that it's really not that great for you. It doesn't really satisfy and sometimes when you eat fast food, it's like an hour later, like, man, I'm starving. I need something else to eat. And maybe you go out to fast food again. I don't know. Not saying I've ever done that. But if you did, I mean, that would be a good idea. It's funny because often in our culture, we view our lives very similarly to that. Is that we have real, sometimes physical, maybe they're emotional, maybe they're relational, maybe even in a church setting, they're spiritual that we have deep needs, but often we try to satisfy them in the wrong ways. We try to satisfy them in the quick way or the easiest way or the most simple way we can. And we try to fulfill the things that only God can, can fulfill with all sorts of other things, all sorts of other people, all sorts of other ways, maybe even on our own, we try to provide. I mean, think about things like Instagram in our culture. Instagram being a place where if you post something, unless you're really self-confident and no one likes it, guess who's a loser? You are. Like zero likes is not a good thing in our culture. Same with Facebook. You think, oh, I've got this awesome status. I worked really hard. I even spell checked it. And now I'm going to post it. I'm going to hope that a lot of people react to it. And then like one person does and it's your grandma who always responds to everything. <laughs> It's like, come on, like that's not exactly what I was looking for. Like, we want acceptance and really at the core of that need, that feeling inside is, is a desire and a need to be known and loved and valued. We want people to know us and to care about us and to have compassion for us and to understand us. And so we post, uh, taking it one step further, even a cultural phenomenon Really something that has become incredibly rampant on the internet is something like pornography. And you're like, wow, okay, like we went there, first five minutes. But think about pornography. Pornography at its core is objectifying men or women to satisfy a deep need we have for intimacy with something very shallow and very much like Taco Bell for our soul. And, and, and we say, oh, that's horrible. Like 15% 
of the internet. 50% of the internet is pornographic material. 15%. And often we're like, oh, that's fine. Like, that's horrible that non-Christians struggle with that thing. Like, they shouldn't do that anymore. 40% of Christians view porn monthly. So we're not off the hook here. And you think about pornography itself. You think about even Instagram at its core. Both of those things are trying to satisfy deep needs we have with very shallow, quick, immediate gratification type things. And it ultimately leaves us empty and tired. I mean, think about even in our culture, workaholism. Some, a word that maybe a few decades ago really wasn't that common. But now you think about coming out of the manufacturing age and moving into the tech age, you can work all the time. You can literally work right now from wherever you're at, from the palm of your hand. And the trap for us, many of us, is to keep working even when we're not working. Right, you've all had that. The boss calls, you're like, uh, it's eight o'clock, I gotta take it. Or someone sends you a text, you're like, oh, I don't need to respond to this, but I want to. Like, you wanna get back to it or an email or a report, and you're working late into the night. Even work itself, when not submitted and surrendered to God, can be a kind of immediate gratification, satisfying something that only God can really fulfill. It's a desire to have purpose and to have meaning and, and passion as a part of our life. It's something only God can provide. Think about kids' achievements. If, you, if you're a parent, maybe it's making sure they got the good grades or they're on the right team or they live in the right neighborhood or go to the right school, all because we want to feel like we're doing a good job with our kids or with our finances or all of these different things. And really, they're all deep spiritual needs that only God can fulfill. But when you're in a wilderness season, it is hard to see that. We talked last week about what it means to be in the wilderness, this place where it's uncomfortable and we're not sure what's going on. We're in maybe a season of waiting or physical suffering or relational breakdown. And we're just not sure, God, what are you doing? And here's a question I know I've asked this and I trust you've asked this before. Will God provide for me even in the wilderness? Will God have my back? Will God care for me? Even in a season which feels unfamiliar, which feels strange, which maybe feels like I'm a little bit more hungry than I normally am. When I think about that, I often reflect on that question. Will God provide for me even in the wilderness? That's not just a, a not, not kind of fully developed follower of Jesus problem either. Now, whether you're kind of on the spectrum of faith in which you're exploring and asking questions or you're someone who said, I'm fully surrendered, I'm all in, I've been baptized, I got the t-shirt, like I'm giving, I'm a part of what God's doing. No matter where you're at on that spectrum, all of us can identify with Matthew 4 in this season. All of us know what it is like to be in a wilderness season. And I wanna turn our attention specifically to the passage we started on last weekend in Matthew 4. So I'm gonna encourage you, if you've got a physical Bible or you've got a phone or you've got an iPad or whatever, you need to get that out so you can be in Matthew 4 and journey with us in this text. If you don't have those things and don't have a way to follow along, we'll provide it on the screen as a backup for you. Here's what we read in Matthew 4. I'm reading from the NIV. Then Jesus was led into the Spirit by was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
every word that comes from the mouth of God. What is the temptation? We, we kind of addressed last week three primary temptations that Satan often brings into our life. And the first one we talked about was physical needs. Our desire to meet our own needs, to make sure we're providing, to make sure we're pulling this thing called life off independent from God and on our own. Now, maybe that happens through wealth or the right job. Maybe it happens through status and the achievements you've made. Maybe it's the relationships you're in. Maybe it's the house you live in. I mean, all these things are physical needs, and often we try to meet them on our own. It's a temptation that we all have. Now, look at Jesus's response to the devil's question. Not statement, but a question. And look what Satan says to him in verse 3. If, 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 if you're an underliner, circler, capture that word. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Why does Satan tempt Jesus with that? Well, first of all, we read in verse one and two that he was what? Hungry, fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And Jesus became hungry. No duh, like all of us would. I mean, that's kind of a natural. Maybe you fasted as one of the challenges over this last week, a food item or something specific. I just was talking with someone before service that I fasted from like late night snacking and it wrecked me. I was so hungry every time I went to bed. And there wasn't, I didn't do it perfectly the whole week, but for most of the week, I tried to avoid kind of those, the snacks that just go along with a good TV show. Like, you know what those are. Uh, but Jesus was hungry in this scenario. In this scene, we find Jesus in. He was hungry. And the devil tempts him to take matters into his own hands and talks about Jesus' identity, challenges identity. He doesn't say, because you're the son of God. He says, if, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Do what a kind of godly, godlike person would do. Do a miracle, perform. Pull it off, shortcut your suffering, get rid of your hunger and uh, circumvent God's process for you in the wilderness. And he had a question to answer. It's underneath this temptation. Is God gonna provide for me? Even in the wilderness, is God gonna have my back? If I don't turn these stones into bread, what's gonna happen? And he responds with something powerful in verse four. He says, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, when Satan challenges Jesus' identity in this story, you can look back, even if you have your Bible open, you can physically see it as I can see it. In chapter three, what happens? Jesus is baptized and, and God opens the heavens and what does he say? This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. It's not if you are the son of God, yet Satan challenges that very core identity that God had spoken over him just a chapter earlier. If you are the son of God, and Jesus responds with scripture, with a scripture that was not new to Jesus. He didn't come up with a scripture. This is an ancient text in Israel's history coming out of Deuteronomy 8. And, and the one thing you have to know about this passage, and as we journey through Matthew 4, you'll pick this up. Satan loves the Bible. Have you noticed this? He loves the scripture. He twists it for his own gain, but he loves it. He knows it probably better than you and I. And he manipulates it trying to get Jesus to, to shortcut the cross, to shortcut God's will for him, even in the wilderness, and to provide for himself rather than trusting God to be his provision. He twists the scripture. 
And if you read ahead in Matthew, as some of you have before, you know the scripture stories that again and again, when Jesus is presented with a physical need, when there's something in front of him, he's got to feed thousands of people who are listening to his teaching, what does he do? He creates a miracle. He performs a miracle and thousands of people are fed. So we know Jesus can do this. It's not a matter of can he do this, it's will he do this. The temptation is to give in. Temptation is to take it into his own hands and to take that surrender back from the Father, to unsurrender, yet Jesus doesn't do that. He quotes Deuteronomy 8. Israel was in the wilderness 40 years, and this is the words that God gave to them. I want to actually read this over you today from Deuteronomy 8 as we get there. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God, listen, listen to this, led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This is not a new text. As Matthew writes this, this is, this is familiar language for him. For, for Jesus, who would have known the scriptures, and we learn that even as an eight-year-old was studying the scriptures and knew them, as he studied that, he knew this scripture. This story was very familiar to Jesus. And there's something fascinating about the fact that he quotes this. I don't know if you caught it or if you're familiar with the story of Israel. Israel had the promised land, this area of land that God wanted to give to them. And yet they squandered their opportunity. And as a result, God led them into 40 years. Do you think you're hungry after 40 days? Talk about 40 years of the wilderness, only giving them this little bread-like substance called manna, which literally translates in Hebrew to what is it? Because when it fell, I'm dead serious. That's not a joke, even though it's kind of funny. Like, I'm dead serious. As that fell, they literally said, man, oh man, like, what is that? Like, what is coming from the sky? And it sustained them in those 40 years. But even though Jesus, or God sustained them in the wilderness for 40 years, generations died before ever seeing the promised land. There was people who were old in their years people who were in even adult seasons of life who did not see the promised land who died in the wilderness. Israel failed in the wilderness. They did not live up to what God had for them. And here in the wilderness, Jesus succeeds. He does what Israel could not do. He lives out the surrendered life to the Father. He lives out of complete dependence and reliance on his Father, knowing that God will provide for him in the wilderness. God will give him a way out, even in the temptation that he faces. And here's the truth, friends. Our temptation, like Jesus, is to want God to provide for us without him being our provision. Man, there's such a difference between those two things. One is temporary. One is satisfying a kind of felt immediate need. One is kind of a, a Taco Bell solution to the deep spiritual need of our life. And the other is full trust, surrender, dependence on the only one who really can, if we were honest, meet those deep spiritual needs we have. See, we often are tempted, just like Jesus was in this scene, to, to surrender 
our, our, our kind of desire and dependence for God in order to have a quick fix, to make things right in the moment. We're often tempted to want God to provide for us without being our provision and friends. It just does not work. It doesn't work for, for Israel. If you trace the story even farther back, some of you are familiar with the story. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, what are they tempted with? If you know the story, literally say, what is the temptation? Food. It's an apple. It's a piece of fruit from the, knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They are tempted to, to kind of solve and fix a physical need. Were they really that hungry though? I mean, didn't they have an entire garden to meet those physical needs? And yet Jesus, God in that moment was not their provision. He just was something that provided for them. They took it into their own hands and said, I'm gonna kind of fix this physical need. I'm gonna take it into my own hands. I'm gonna lean into, into the temptation. And the same thing happens to Israel and they also fail. And then Jesus comes along and he succeeds. Where we failed in temptation Jesus comes through and is victorious. And there's hope for us in that. And that's why it's so key to talk about things like fasting and prayer. Some of you this week took that guide that you got on your way in and you fasted maybe from something, you maybe prayed differently than you had, maybe you involved your family in that. And if this is your first week in this series, I invite you to take that guide and do the same thing. As we as a church are journeying through 40 years, 40, wow, that would be long, 40 days, man, we're in for a long haul. Like, here, let's go. Uh, I'll be here for a long time. That's good. I like that. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure how to recover. 40 days uh, in this season of prayer and fasting. And here's the reason. See, fasting and prayer don't necessarily fix your physical needs. Have you caught that? Actually kind of makes me more hungry. When you give up food, it makes you more hungry. But what it does is changes us from viewing God just as someone who gives us quick fixes to someone who can quench the deepest need in our heart. See, when you're fasting, you recognize that you are not solely kind of reliant. You are not able to completely meet all your needs on your own. You need God to provide. If you're sitting in a house, when you go home from here, if you have a warm house and a car to drive, don't ever get into the trap of thinking that you are the one that provided that. Don't ever fall into the trap that you are the one or that I am the one who makes that stuff happen. See, when I hit the wilderness, it forces me to, to realize and to reckon with this question, is God just providing for me or is he really my provision? Is he really everything I need? Is he really sufficient for the deepest needs of my life, not just my physical needs, not just my need for a rent check, not just my need for a new job, not just my need for a spouse or a boyfriend or girlfriend, not just my need for a new car. Is he all that I need? Is he all that my heart yearns for? Is he all that I desire? And out of that, physical needs will certainly come. Out of that, physical provision certainly will come. The fact that you're sitting here today is clear and real evidence of that. But fasting and prayer help us in the wilderness to stay engaged, to stay submitted, and to stay fully surrendered because we're not alone in the wilderness. God is with us and often leads us into those places so that we're solely reliant on him. As I sit in a room like this, I think about the past 12 years of even our church history. 
See, I remember be- meeting back at Zion Christian School, and I could barely see the music stand, and I was playing guitar back in those days. Like, and me and my brothers were part of the early worship team at Compass Church, which was founded in 2006, which is the church we sit in right now. And in 2006, there was a group of people from Kentwood Community Church who said, we know that our community that we live in, that our kids go to school in, that we're a part of, has a spiritual need. And we want to be a part of meeting that need in our community. We want to see people drawn into good and and vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we're going to sacrifice some things. We're going to step into some wilderness of setting up and tearing down and making coffee and all these things that are not particularly glamorous. We're going to set those aside. Little did we know that six years prior to that, Frontline Church had been planted out of the exact same church. See, Kentwood Community Church also had a group of people on the north side of town that said, we are passionate about reaching our community with the good news of Jesus Christ. And we are committed. We're gonna change some things. We're gonna sacrifice some things so that that can happen. And I have a real quick kind of timeline slash infographic. I just want you to lay, lay eyes on. And we're gonna provide this throughout the week if you wanna take a hold of it as well. There's all these different markers that happen. January 2000, Frontline's planted. Skipping ahead six years, you see Compass Church was planted as well. And as I look at all these different things, and I look at May 2016 when we merged, and I look at uh, last Easter, just a few months ago, changing the name, all of these things were opportunities for us to seize control back, to wanna provide for ourselves, whether it's a building or whether it's growth or whether it's staffing or transitions, all of those opportunities are, are opportunities for us or op- they're moments for us to seize control back from God and to unsurrender our lives. Even in the church history, there are probably moments, if you were around since 2006, you remember hard days. Like, is this gonna work? Are we gonna keep going? Like, what's gonna happen? And, and you prayed and you fasted and here we sit today as a result of your faithfulness and God's goodness to our church. Skipping ahead, if you wonder, how do I live this out? I actually want to provide a way for you to do this starting this weekend. Something that you can actually do today to not just let God provide for you, but for him to start to be your provision. And here's what you and I will do if that's, if that's true of us. We, all of us, will decide right now to trust God to meet our needs in the wilderness. We'll trust him and we'll believe him and we'll, and we'll stake our lives in the fact that even in times where we do not see him, even in times where we do not feel him, even in times in which the diagnosis and the doctors don't give us the news we wanted, even in the times where their bills seem to outweigh the income, and that month looks pretty difficult and hard. You just don't have eyes to see a way out. Even when the relationship feels like it's lost and the marriage is stale and the kids are gone, things are hard and things are lonely and you're in a wilderness. Even in those moments, you and I can decide, it's our choice to trust God in the wilderness, to know that he will meet those needs. And real practically, you can do that by joining us in this 40-day challenge of saying, I'm going to pray and fast. I don't even know what fasting is, but I'm going to try it. Like, I don't even know what prayer looks like in my life, but I'm going to try it. I'm going to change some things. We're going to challenge one another in that. 
In closing, I want to share a brief story. Some of you know the name Russell Brand. If you don't, there's a picture of him on the screen. Russell Brand is a British comedian slash actor uh, slash speaker and podcaster now. But Russell Brand, a couple decades ago, found himself in a very difficult place. Now, you may have seen some movies with him. He's a very funny guy, super gifted, uh, really interesting person just to listen to talk because he has an awesome British accent. Uh, but all of that aside, Russell Brand found himself helpless. See, just a couple years ago, he looked back over his life and found that he was incredibly addicted, addicted to uh, substances, addicted to alcohol, addicted, addicted to sex and pornography, all these things that felt like, oh my goodness, these are huge, like, I can't overcome them. He got to a place of desperation and through some recovery programs is now sober and free and has new life and freedom. And he's actually on a journey. It's interesting because he's not a Christian. But he's on this journey and he writes in his re most recent book about some of the encounters he had that he would describe as God encounters of God meeting him and giving him freedom. And as he prayed, actually feeling like there was someone on the other end and all these experiences that we would describe as God working in his life. He just doesn't use the same language that we would. But Russell Brand said this, and he came to this point of desperation. And I wanna close with this because it's so clearly what we experienced Jesus uh, being tempted with in the wilderness. And here's what he says. You can never quench your spiritual craving through material means. Let me say that one more time. You can never quench your spiritual craving, the deepest needs and hungers of your heart through material means. You can't do it through the computer. You can't do it through the newest iPhone. You can't do it with a better job. You cannot do it with a more padded bank account. You can't even do it with the best relationship that you ever thought was possible. You can only do it by trusting God to be your provision. For even in the wilderness saying, I'm gonna trust you. I don't know how this ends. I'm not sure where this is going, but God, I trust you. And I wanna meet you in the wilderness. I wanna trust you as my provision. I wanna recognize that even when I was dead in my sin, you came to me. You brought me up. You took me out of the grave. All the things that we've already sung before. And because of that, I have hope in you. Because of that, the beauty of the good news of Jesus is that I'm not alone in my wilderness. And spiritually, I'm not out to dry, but God is for me. And his power is made perfect even in my weakness, maybe wilderness. And so as you look at that, as you think about the good news of the gospel, uh, in just a couple minutes, we're gonna celebrate baptism. What's really cool about baptism today is that we've already had one. I don't know, I mean, Brendan mentioned that, but someone who'd watched uh, sermons online and had kind of been to our church a couple times just emailed me a month ago and said, man, I feel like God's stirring me to get baptized. Uh, can you help with that? I was like, yes, I can help with that. We could figure out a way to make it happen. And she got baptized this morning, someone with very severe challenges in her life that doesn't allow her to be here every Sunday morning. Step forward in faith. That's why it's a little wet here. I already was in the tank once and I'm excited to go back. But baptism is one of those symbols for us of saying, my old life is dead. My new life is just beginning. And I, again, I don't know where you're at on the spectrum. But as the band starts to play, we start to move into this symbol, this activity, this practice of worship. No matter where you're at on the spectrum, baptism is open for you today. Maybe today you're asking questions. And I'm so glad that you are here. 
I'm glad that you're exploring it. Maybe you're wrestling with some very tough things when it comes to faith or Jesus or the resurrection or Christianity as a whole, and you're just not sure where you fall when it comes to your relationship with Christ. If today you wanted to take that step and say, I'm fully surrendered, I'm in. I don't have all the answers, but I'm gonna give all that I know and surrender to Jesus, you can be baptized this morning. Maybe for you, you followed Christ for decades and you were baptized as, a, as an infant or a little kid and it wasn't necessarily an independent choice, but you wanna make that independent, informed choice today to be baptized. You can be baptized. Maybe you, again, are wrestling with, I don't know where I'm at, even on that spectrum, what do I do? But you know that the Spirit is prompting you to, to step forward in the waters of baptism. You could be baptized today. And so what I wanna do is pray for us as we respond to God's spirit, as we listen to his voice, as we worship him. And the band's gonna sing a little bit of a song and then we're gonna invite uh, Miles Porter, who's uh, eight years old, seven years old, so close, <laughs> seven years old. But what I love about being able to baptize someone like Miles is that at seven years old, he has said, I wanna fully surrender my life to Christ. I don't even... As a seven-year-old, you probably don't know fully what your life is going to mean yet. You don't know what's going to happen. There's no guarantee that you'll be around for the next 80, 90 years or whatever. But all of that to say, there is a significant choice, an independent choice to be baptized. And church, we are going to celebrate that like crazy. We're going to clap till our hands hurt, okay? Just giving you a heads up. That's what we're going to do. We're going to be excited. We're going to worship and celebrate Jesus in it. And if someone else gets baptized, we're gonna worship and celebrate with them as well. But here's the key. No matter where you're at, in your wilderness season, trust God to meet your need. Don't do it on your own. Don't get frustrated, burnt out, stressed, and tired, but allow God to be your provision for your deepest needs. So let me pray for us. We'll step into that time. And then kind of as we sing for a few minutes, I'll invite Miles and his family up to be baptized. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that in moments like this, we are so clearly reminded of how good and faithful and gracious you are to us. That without you, we are hopeless. In you, we have infinite hope. That without you, we are lost and dead and broken in our sin, but with you, we are made alive in Christ. New people, new patterns, new attitudes, new minds. That in our wilderness, that when we can't see you, we know you're working. That when we can't hear you, we hear your still, small voice whispering to us, I'm here. I'm for you. So God, speak to us clearly today. Help us to trust you, not just to provide for us, not to give us easy fixes, but to be our provision. We need you, Holy Spirit. Speak to us. Meet us in the wilderness. Help us to surrender our lives back to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, I'm going to invite you to stand as you respond.